today's reading if you go to the book of Hebrews and if you look up page 1203 it's quite a short passage only two verses beginning at verse 15 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alistair. Good morning. Again, I put my water over here by the candles in case there was a, an incident, but we were well prepared. So well done, guys, for uh, Advent. Let's pray together. Father, you're so good to us, and we ask that you would join us um, as you have this service. But Lord, as we look at your word, bless us, and may we know you better through it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. My name is Ken. I'm the youth pastor here at Pitlocker Baptist Church. Pray for David. He, he's not well today. Um, I, it was expected for me to preach today, but we will remember David. Um, that he recovers from not feeling well, so, um, but glad you could be with us. I'm wondering if you can put your mind at a place or imagine a time when you had a conflict with somebody, perhaps a deep disagreement, something strong. It just bubbles, and then comes that moment when, boom, it explodes. The confrontation, the conversations, it's opened like a can. Have any of you ever had one of these moments where this happens? Some of you readily said yes. Well, what a gracious con- If you wanted to raise their hands, you guys are all so gracious and never, maybe it's a British thing. Anyway, the conversation begins, and it grows passionate before you can blink. It's, it's just there. It's in that place. And, um, you know, as our lives change, the issues may change over the decades, and things may be different, but... But 20 years ago, there was a huge and a very significant disagreement that I find myself in. And that disagreement, actually, with, with great reflection, I have come to change my position. Okay? And the disagreement was this. The question was, who's a better actor? Tom Hanks or Harrison Ford? I don't know if you know who these guys are, but let's, let's just look at the evidence very quickly. Exhibit A, we have Tom Hanks here in three of his iconic roles from about this time when this disagreement was happening. We have Forrest Gump here. Uh, how many of you have seen Forrest Gump? Okay, so we're, we're able to connect a little bit here. 1994, he won the best uh, actor for a lead actor in that role. 1993, we have Tom Hanks as Ethan is the guy's name. Chuck, um, nope, nope. Andrew Beckett in Philadelphia, 1993, also winning the Best Actor Award, and in 2000 as Chuck Nolan from Castaway. So, nominated for Best Actor, but did not win. So, most of us have seen these movies, Tom Hanks' Forrest Gump. Exhibit B, Harrison Ford. We know Harrison Ford from this iconic role as Han Solo, 
reprising that role four times for the Star Wars franchise. Now, I know that in this room, there's lovers and haters of Star Wars. Forgive me if this has now made you not want to listen anymore. But at any rate, that's Harrison Ford, a very popular film series. Um, we have Indiana Jones here, also reprising that role four times and due for another release in 2021. We'll see if they can get it together, but who knows. Um, and also here, Jack Ryan in Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger, also late 90s, 2000. So, I now submit this disagreement that was from 20 years ago, and I'm, try, I'm sorry to objectify these guys, but I, just, just because it was a passionate disagreement, let's settle this now. Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you suggest or would vote that Tom Hanks is the better of the two actors? Please show me by a raise of hands. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> how many of you would say Harrison Ford is the better actor by a show of hands? Look at that. Okay, well, there you go. Here's the thing that my friend said in his argument for Tom Hanks, was that when Tom Hanks plays a part, he becomes these people. He's a different person. But his argument went on that when Harrison Ford plays a part, it's just Harrison Ford as the archaeologist, as the, as the, as the smuggler, <laughs> the space pirate, and as the president or, or the spy or those sorts of things. Now, that was his perspective. And I, and I wonder in a conversation uh, like this that we bring our own biases to the table. I mean, perhaps if you're a fan of science fiction, you're going to be more oriented towards Harrison Ford. If, uh, if you like a certain type of drama, it might make you want to vote for one of these other guys. But there will be people who can't look past Harrison Ford and not see Han Solo. You know, sometimes an actor will get so associated with a part, it's difficult to see who they really are. As we begin Advent today with thoughts of celebrating Jesus' birth and restoration of our relationship with God, I wonder if there are things about Jesus we don't see because of our own views or our own biases. We kind of get a picture of who Jesus is, and, and with that, we may not be able to see broadly just how full and how wonderful his character is. What comes to mind for you when you think of Jesus? Tell me. Let's, let's talk to me. What do you think? When you think of Jesus, what do you think of? Out loud. Bring it. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Father. Father. Protection. Protection. Kindness. Kindness. Love. Friend. A friend. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Servant. Servant. Teacher. 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 Healer. Healer. Redeemer. Yes. All sorts of things we think of. Now, in these two pieces of art, um, they're, they're pretty high views of Jesus, right? We see um, his divinity as a focus here. And, and honestly, as the most provocative person in history, the question of who is Jesus has been challenging from the earliest days of the church. And it's been challenging even from the earliest days of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus was beginning his ministry and gathered his first disciples, a guy named Philip had decided Jesus was the Messiah. In his newfound faith, Philip wanted to share that with others, and he went to his brother Nathaniel, and he said, you've got to see this guy. Here's their conversation from John 1, 45 and 46. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. 
So Philip's introduction to Jesus did not impress Nathaniel. He said, can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, who is this guy, really? Now, now many of us in this room will believe that Jesus was the Messiah, or at least we'll have some sort of sympathy towards that view. But still this question that emerges even from that view of Jesus being the Messiah is, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. But how can He be the Son of God and yet still human? The Bible and Christian history have answered this question that Jesus is both completely divine and completely human. And the reason I had us look earlier at this picture of Tom Hanks and Harrison Ford is because generally, when we think of Jesus, we're likely probably to to think of one side of, of him. If we talk about Jesus being a friend, we're not likely thinking of his absolute divinity. But if we think of him being as divine, it's hard to imagine him as a human. Jesus was and is without sin. And I may have shared with you before, as a kid, uh, as a kid, I really pondered the difference between sinlessness and perfection. I think we've talked about this. The example being that one time I remember thinking about how we sit in a chair. Now I can look in, and we all have we all have different postures. But what does it mean if if uh, for Jesus to sit in a chair? If he's perfect, if he's sinless, for him to sit in a chair, does that mean he sits with perfect posture? Does he sit in such a way that does not in any way harm his body for the future or something like that. And we can go on with this sort of thinking, you know, if, is, is, if we eat food, we're going to have a love look at all the treats that are set. It's going to be wonderful. Now, there might be some things over there that are not the best thing for your body. Uh, and if, if, if Jesus were here and if he were perfect, would he, would he have a treat? Perfection and sinlessness are two different things. And, and, and I think the problem with that sort of thinking, this high-minded thinking, is it just misses the humanity of Jesus. It misses who he really is. So we're going to be looking over the life of Jesus and who he was over the next few weeks. And today, we're going to focus on his humanity. The verses that we just read, Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The reality is that Jesus walked this earth just as human as you and I are today. 100% human. Now, as I've already said, the issue of Jesus being both fully divine and fully human has always created debate amongst the Christians. What we believe about the identity of Jesus unites and divides us. This is, I don't know if you can see this very well, but all of these are different schools of thought and debates throughout early church history and some in later history of people discussing and trying to sort out the nature of Jesus, his divinity versus his humanity. Who is he? And honestly, the questions will continue to go on. And we could could go on on a sidetrack here. This is really not for us to discuss. It's just to demonstrate that there's been lots and lots of thought put into this and that we actually rest on some of the the debates of the past. So it it would be an interesting and and worthwhile journey to kind of dive into some of this doctrine and some of these thoughts, but really it would distract us from our point today. So can we together just acknowledge that Jesus is 100% human and 100% God and and leave that to the bit of a realm of mystery without tracking too much into that? Is that okay? Okay, everybody's like, yes, please do not stay on that slide. Move on, Ken. Um, 
God has revealed himself in wonderful ways, and it's attention. The other reason we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on that last side is because the Bible itself, the writers of the Gospels, particularly the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't spend a lot of time on it. They just recognize he's both divine and human and right in that way. And then here in John, John addresses it quickly and eloquently. So even though we as, as, as people get all hung up on this, the gospel writers did not. This is what John does. He says in verse 1 of John 1, In the beginning was God, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not, was not anything made that was made. You see there, that is the divinity of God. That's the divinity of Jesus. But then if you look down at verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word flesh here is used several times in the New Testament. It's always having to do with humans and humanness, always. In the Greek world, though, that word sarks, that word that's used there for flesh, it actually had a different meaning. It had a different connotation and it would be seen as the source of all human problems. So what the New Testament does with flesh and Jesus becoming flesh is actually a little bit of a contrast to the Greek world. In the New Testament, it's a neutral word. Flesh is the battleground of spiritual conflict. Flesh is capable of both good and evil, and that's really true of us today. We as humans are capable of both good and evil. So through the virgin birth, the miraculous conception of Jesus. He's born human. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And it's what we begin our celebration of Advent with. Now let's just talk a little bit briefly about his humanity and how that relates to us and how we can relate to him. A couple things about Jesus. Jesus, as a human, he grew. The Bible tells us this in, in Luke chapter 2, 40. It says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Later on in, in verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Do we think about, the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time talking about Jesus' younger years. But he, just like any child, will have grown. He'll have stubbed his toe. He'll have cried. He'll have been hungry. He had the very human experience that we have as a child growing up. I suspect the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time on it because really the purpose of the New Testament is to talk about his ministry. But there are hints of it here, and here are a couple of verses that talk about he, him growing. He became strong. He became. He did not come into the world strong and wise. He increased in wisdom and stature. He grew in this. So that's one of the elements that we can see in the text. In speaking more of Jesus' ministry years, um, we can know that even as he was growing, there's no doubt he was going through the same struggles and challenges of coming of age. Sorting out who you are. The pressure of expectations. It's curious to think about when would it have been that Jesus actually was um, aware of his identity as the Son of God? When did he know this? One of these things that folks will debate about, but at some point, I mean, you think about what it's like for us as we struggle with growing up in our own identity, which, by the way, never goes away. What's it look like to be a grandparent today? 
Because it was not the same when your grandparents were grandparents. Do you know what I mean? We're always sorting out of our identity. But think about if Jesus is having to do this as the Son of God, and what does that mean? He can relate to us. The Bible speaks also of Jesus being recognized as a son. These are actually pretty important verses. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. This is Jesus' baptism. You may remember the scene. Uh, he approaches John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is like, I'm not fit to baptize you, and they, and they have this conversation, but, but John agrees to baptize Jesus. And this is what happened in verse 16 of Matthew 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Later on, after Jesus had begun his ministry, there was a scene where he took three of his disciples up a mountain, and it's often referred to as the transfiguration. They saw something happen to Jesus uh, that was unique and, and saw some of his glory in that. And in Luke 9.35, uh, God also speaks of Jesus. He says, And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Jesus grew, and like us, he needed the affirmation of his dad. I suppose it's a bit of a side question for us to consider this morning, but if we see that Jesus, the Son of God, needs this affirmation, who, who do you need to affirm? Who do we need to affirm? Do you need to make a phone call to set something right? Is there somebody who we need to have a conversation with? Another flip side of that question is, what wound do you carry from not receiving affirmation? Jesus gets it. And both of those things that I've just mentioned, because those are a bit heavy, right? We've just dropped a bomb in some ways in the room. But I say that because you need to understand that Jesus gets that. He gets what it is to need to affirm. He also gets what it is to need to hear. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. He connects with that. He's felt the rejection of his dad as well. He can connect with that also. Mark 15, 34. This is Jesus on the cross. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, leme sabachthani, ani. Forgive me for those of you who are Aramaic speakers. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus has felt the rejection as well of a dad. So he grew with all the joys and all the wonderful things that come from being human in that experience. But he also understands what it is to feel rejection and to be suffering and to need that affirmation. So that was Jesus growing. He grew as a human. Jesus has emotions. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who you felt just was not getting you? Have you, can, you, can, you can you figure out that moment where this person just doesn't understand you? Have you ever, how many of you have had that moment where, yeah, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't get me? Um, have you ever had the opposite side where you're like, I just don't get you. <laughs> we, we've had those things. Um, yeah, you're speaking different languages. You, you, you just, you're not connecting. How does that feel? How does it feel to not be understood, to not, to not be gotten? How does that feel? Talk to me a little bit. Very frustrating. What else? What's that? Lonely. Discouraging. 
isolating, hard. Jesus had regular contact with religious leaders, often, who simply did not get him. And it's one thing for people you're not close to to not get you, but Jesus even can relate to it, to the situation when those closest to you don't understand you, because that's actually a different thing. It's one thing for the folk out there. They don't know. Of course they don't get me. But it's a whole other thing when the people who are closest to you don't seem to understand. Matthew 16, starting with verse 5, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring, my bread, bring any bread. Now, now, just for context's sake, what had just happened was Jesus had just had one of these confrontations with the Pharisees and Sadducees, one of these awkward conversations where they just didn't get each other. And so now that he's with his disciples, it's just him and his people. So back to Matthew 16, verse 6. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. <laughs> but Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive? Do you, do you not get it? Do you not remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So these guys are thinking about food and bread, which I can relate to. Jesus is speaking metaphorically about what's coming from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's like, beware of that. And they're like, well, we got, we don't, what, what's up with the bread? They totally didn't get him. And not only do we see Jesus uh, knowing what it's like to be misunderstood, he gets frustrated. Come on, guys, get it. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's get this together. Jesus has experienced all these emotions. Here's a list of some of the emotions, just some of the emotions that we see in Scripture uh, that Jesus experienced as a, as a human. I want you to look at this, and, and it's been up here for a few seconds, and if you can see it, um, uh, would you recognize any of those, those emotions here from just this week? Have you experienced any of these this week? And there's good and bad ones there, right? There's ones that are nice, there's ones that we enjoy, and there's ones that we perhaps don't like. Along with these emotions, Jesus has limitations. He spoke of his own limitation of knowledge about the second coming in Mark 15, 32. He was limited in his use of divine power. He did not use divine power, Matthew 26, 53. And he expressed absolute dependence on the Father. He lived with all the baggage, the trappings, the challenges of being a human being. And emotions are part of that experience. And Jesus knows the range of our emotions. He experienced it. He knows joy and grief, peace and anger, celebration and sadness, fulfillment and hunger, support and abandonment. He knows you and he knows me and he gets what we're going through. He genuinely does. Jesus knows what it is to be tempted. Matthew 4, 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Um, how many of you have had actual experiences in the wilderness? Have any of you 
spent some time, some significant time in the wilderness. Uh, Several years ago, I took a group of young people um, hiking on the Appalachian Trail, which is is a range of mountains on the eastern side of the United States. And we chose to go because of the way the school schedule was at a time when um, it was freezing and um, it, it, it was torturous. <laughs> we, we, we started and it just started chucking down rain. And for the first day, it just rained so hard and it was so cold. That evening, we were all drenched, soaking wet. And uh, we were trying to set up camp and, and nobody wanted to do anything. They all wanted to put up tents and just get in the tent and hide. And nobody had had any dinner. Um, we, we discovered the next day that we had set up our tents in, in ultimately a riverbed because there, we, were, we were completely soaked and there was water all around us the next day. But it was because we weren't being very, um, we were just trying to get them set up really quickly. Went to make supper, went to cook some dinner, and um, everything was frozen. You, you, you couldn't pour in a water to boil because it was frozen. So, um, and the wilderness can be treacherous. I, I think this is actually a physical wilderness that Jesus has been led into. But you know, sometimes... We might be in a wilderness sitting in the room. Jesus was led to that place. He knows. Verse 15 of Hebrews, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus not giving in to temptation, suffered, um, actually positions him in a way that's unique but still very human. Hebrews 5, the next chapter in Hebrews, says this about Jesus. It says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And they heard because of his reverence. They were, he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus living through the temptation, living through that suffering is part of how he grew and how he learned. How many times have we had to go through suffering to learn something, to grow? Australian theologian Leon Morris writes this about Jesus overcoming temptation. He says, the man who yields to a particular temptation has not felt its full power. He has given in while the temptation has yet something in reserve. Only the man who does not yield to a temptation, who as regards to that particular temptation is sinless, knows the full extent of that temptation. Thus Jesus, the sinless one, is the only one who really knows the full extent of temptation's power. And he knows it precisely because he did not yield. Does does that make sense? The longer that we hold out against temptation, the longer that you don't have the chocolate cake, the longer you feel it. Do you know what I mean? To give in to the temptation, it kind of relieves the suffering that we're having to cope with. But the longer you hold out, the longer you resist that temptation, the more that you have to walk through its effects. The main point for us today is is just to recognize that Jesus uh, went through this audacious, this crazy length to be with us. He became completely human and can completely relate to all of our emotions, our experiences, our temptations, and circumstances in each of our lives. So as we sit in this room with all sorts of different things going on, and that's what's kind of amazing about Jesus. There may be somebody in the room that's just full of joy. You just, you're just rocking. It's Christmas time. You're going to get your music out. You're, you're, you're delighted. But there may also be somebody in the room who's just absolutely miserable. 
Jesus can relate to all of those things. He experienced them. So we land with this verse, uh, 16 of Hebrews 4, because this is where it all, it all lands. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Regardless of how you may feel, regardless of what you're going through, I can assure you all that we need God's grace and mercy. Each and every one of us, regardless of where we sit, will you draw near to him today? He's gone to the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate extreme to have a relationship with you. The Jesus Storybook Bible describes it like this, and I love it. I think it's, it's so eloquent. It says this about God's love. Nothing can ever, no, not ever, separate us from the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God he showed us in Jesus. Jesus is human. He relates to the experience that we have. And because of that, we don't have to be hesitant to draw near to him. If you, you may feel like, I, I'm, I'm too far gone. I, 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 he can't relate to my temptations. Jesus was too good. He doesn't get that. Actually, he does. There's too many thoughts in my head that Jesus, surely because he was God's son, he can't, he can't do that. No, he does. There's no doubt there was times he wanted to knock somebody out. I'm sure of it. There's no doubts that he probably thought somebody was attractive. Jesus was so human. He gets the things that we go through. So let's conclude with this. We'll just take a, a moment to just reflect. Is there a memory, a circumstance, something that's happened in the past that we need to reconsider in light of the fact that Jesus completely understands it? Perhaps it's a wound. Perhaps it's a sin struggle. Perhaps it's actually something that still needs to happen. Maybe it's that phone call I mentioned earlier. Maybe you just simply need to consider what it is to draw near the throne of grace. Maybe it's not in deep woundedness or deep separation, but it's just simply what does it look like to draw closer to Jesus because he gets it. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have a, a living human relationship with Jesus where you communicate, where you interact, where you speak, where you listen? I'm going to just give us a moment to reflect. We want, we want to look at God's Word and kind of let it sit on our hearts a bit. So I'm going to just give us 30 seconds to a minute of silence, and then I'll close us in prayer as we reflect for a moment. Father, in our humanness, we're broken. And the Scripture is so clear that you were broken for us. You experienced this life on earth to restore relationship with us. And you've been through all this stuff, the stuff that we're going through. We may live in a different time and a different age, but Father, as a human, the emotions, the, the feelings, the uncertainty, the joy, all those things are the same. So God, help us to draw near. And Father, as we congregate, as we draw near to you, Lord, may that actually put us in proximity of closeness with each other. 
Father, as I walk towards you from one direction, as somebody else walks to you from another direction, Lord, that lands us closer to each other as we draw closer to you. So, Father, as we begin Advent, as, as we begin to consider what it is, this gift that you've given to us of your presence, of your, of your uh, being born here on earth, Lord, help it to be something that transforms us as a community. And, Lord, please help us to draw closer to one another because of you. And you get it, Lord. Lord, that's us as a community. For, for those of us who have things uh, within our past or within our lives that simply needs to be reevaluated in light of the fact that you get it. There's nothing that's hidden from you and nothing that you don't have grace and mercy for. Nothing. So, Father, if there's somebody within this room or somebody that we know that just cannot grab a hold of your grace and mercy because they don't recognize you completely understand. Father, remove that barrier because you do understand. So help us in that, Lord. Help us to draw close. Thank you, God. Thank you for the audacious craziness that you've gone through to restore our relationship. And Lord, may we be a people that do the same thing. Thank you, God. Thank you for being human. Thank you for being a a high priest who can identify with our needs and our struggles and let us draw close. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.